Yo, it's another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic podcast. Monday morning, it's football and random things. Coming off of a bye week, of course, recording in the Wild Rose Casino and Resort Studios. This is the home studios. I'm having a little bit of a eye ailment today, so uh, I'm hey, you're playing of, hurt. I'm on playing the IL. Hurt. Yeah, I'm on the IL working from home. Uh, it's all good, though. Of course, football and random things is brought to you by our friends at Wiffles Hybrids. Every year, corn growers have a choice to make. And that choice is like a stake in the ground, one that says staying independent, staying family-owned, and means something on your farm. So plant your independence and plant wiffles. Uh, of course, we know a lot about staying independent here at Cyclone Fanatic. Uh, and, uh, of course, we appreciate all of our uh, great work with our friends at Wiffles Hybrids. How did you enjoy your bye week, Jeff? Did you do anything fun? I did. So it was my birthday last Wednesday. And, uh, happy at, belated so, birthday. I didn't know it was your you. birthday. So thank you. I, I really expect everyone to know everything about my life more than their own. Um, so, but it was my 32nd birthday. And so 32 is another important number. So Sam, Tim, he played at you and I, he was a friend of mine. We went to Ames. Uh, he called it, he said, happy Jersey, which I, I really appreciated that the next one that I'll have, cause I wore 21 in baseball when I was growing up and then I wore 32 at Iowa state. And the next Jersey that I have is going to be 82. So I have 50 years between Jersey days. When did you wear 82? It was high school. It was my high school number. You were a running back wore number 82. Yeah. So I was, uh, I very like the two minute version of this or less. So I started as a wide receiver and then I grew way more than they thought I was going to grow. And so as a sophomore, I started at X receiver, my freshman or my started X receiver, my sophomore year, at Southeast Polk. And then three games in, I was a five foot 11, 180 pound sophomore. And they, uh, the starting two running backs got hurt and they were like, well, we don't have anybody else. Hey, big wide receiver. You want to come play running back? And I think I had like, I was like 11 carries for 75 yards or something like that in the game against Ames. And they were like, you're pretty good at this. Why don't you stay here? And then for the, when we went to like Jersey pick the next year, I was like, yeah, what the hell? I'll keep this one. Seems fun. And then it, we got all state that year. And I was like, well, I can't change now. So then wore it again. So I was, yeah, 82 was the running back. So Cordero Patterson, eat your heart out. Man, that's something else. Uh, yeah, we got, you took some questions on Twitter. Uh, that'll be the primary focus of today's episode. Obviously Iowa state preparing for Oklahoma on Saturday. An 11 a.m. kick at Jack Trice Stadium. Game was originally scheduled to play on Thursday. Both teams had bye weeks this past week. Uh, give them a little extra time to prepare for this game. Uh, interesting season for Oklahoma, obviously. Uh, going from winning 45-13, 33-3, and 49-14 in the first two week, or three weeks to going and losing to Kansas State 41-34, uh, getting beat by 31 to t- by TCU, and then getting beat by 49 against Texas all to bounce back and score 52 against Kansas again. So uh, you want to talk about a roller coaster first year. I think that Brent Venables has been on every up and down of the roller coaster at this point. It has been really hard to track. The thing is, is, I mean, does, is Dylan Gabriel, you know, the question is, is Dylan Gabriel that important? And the answer is a resounding yes. Yeah. Where if he's not there, that Texas game, I mean, Texas is a fine team. I think just this is a, a, a total non sequitur is I'm kind of sick of everybody saying, well, Texas was the better team, but are they not four and three? Right. So is the better team four and three? No, 
They lost. They've, they've lost three games and they've made the mistakes to lose three games. Well, they're the better team, but no, they're not. Stop that. Uh, anyway, the so the Texas game was embarrassing. And Dylan Gabriel didn't play and they had what five different guys attempt to pass. Six, and they Six threw, guys for 39 yards. Six yeah. guys and they threw for 39 yards and they come back. And now Kansas is, I think Kansas has regressed now without Jalen Daniels and also just generally, I think teams have figured out a little bit of what that, what all that is about. So I think Kansas for the past two weeks is what we expect them to be, which is a decent offense, better than they have been, but they're not five and oh, they're not a top 25 team. That's sort of what we expected now that teams have caught on. Um, but at the same time, they just came out and blew the doors off the offense. So they went from playing a decent tech or a good to decent Texas team into playing a, a, a slightly below average defense in Kansas. But the difference is Dylan Gabriel came back. So they had one guy throwing passes instead of six and they score 52 points. The consistent throughout the big 12 season though, is that this, the defense is really bad. Mm-hmm or has been really bad. Now, Brent Venables can also coach defense really well. So it's not to say they're going to stay really bad, but the things that they have been consistent with throughout the season have been in that they are not in the right spot more often than they are in the right spot where they're going to be, they're going to blow a coverage. They're going to misfit a run. And I think the thing that sort of feels like it has come to a head, it probably came to a head in the Texas game was if you don't want to do the hard things, you're not going to play. And so now you're having to kind of go reassess the roster of who's actually going to be kind of bought in and whatever. Did they get that figured out over the bye week No idea, but it's, uh, I would expect this Oklahoma team to be closer to what we saw against Kansas than what we saw earlier in the year, because they got so embarrassed that you can start pulling guys that didn't want to play because it's so obvious on film that everybody else, you don't lose the locker room when you bench six guys, you can bench six guys because everybody else in the locker room goes, yeah, those guys deserve to be benched. So I would imagine they're going to be much more like the Kansas, Oklahoma than TCU or Texas, Oklahoma. Well, this is going to be a something's got to give type of game, uh, especially when it comes to running the football. If you're one of those running backs for Iowa state, I feel like you got to be uh, licking your chops when you see that Oklahoma is 10th in the big 12 allowing 207.4 yards per game rushing. They're allowing teams to run for almost five yards a carry and they're almost 50 yards worse than the ninth place team, which is Kansas. So to say that Oklahoma's run defense has been horrible this season would probably be an, an under, like would probably be an undersell to you. This is the kind of game where if you're Irish state, you feel like you should be able to run the football, I think. Well, and I think just running the ball generally is going to get a lot easier when you have two healthy, competent running backs mm-hmm. because Jairo Brock would have had two weeks to come off. I mean, he was for the last two or three games. He's been very clearly not healthy. He's, I would imagine it was like a sprained ankle that just has not gotten better. So he's probably still not going to be a hundred percent because sprained ankles at running back take weeks, six months to heal. Yeah. yeah months, it's like yeah. to be totally gone. Um, but Cartavius Norton, it was good to see him in the game because he provided a different spark. And I think, again, we mentioned it with Deion Silas before and Eli Sanders, they just don't see it yet. They don't understand. And for whatever reason, Cartavius Norton does. And so he's just a guy that gets it right away. Silas and Sanders can develop it, but they just don't see it right now. And so you have Jairo Brock and Cartavius Norton being able to actually be healthy should make a world of difference for this running game because it's not like you are exclusively reliant upon Jairo Brock to do everything because if he's tired, take him out. 
put Cartavius Norton in, let him run. And it shouldn't be such a huge step down. I think the offensive line has been fine. It's not that they've not been doing well. And we've talked about it a bunch in that because of the way that the offense has to run the ball, it's a lot based on timing and the timing has been terrible with two different guys who don't really understand what the timing should be. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine, yeah, Oklahoma's run defense has been really bad and it's been embarrassingly bad. Like, did you watch the TCU game? The Oklahoma TCU game? Yeah. It was, I, I generally root against Oklahoma and Texas as most Americans do when they're, if you're not an Oklahoma or Texas fan, but good Lord, it was like, I felt bad for Oklahoma because of how awful that run defense was. They had to have had injuries on defense too. Like the way that for them to have even gone where they were before last season, which isn't necessarily, I mean, were they the 85 bears? No, you know, but like they're good enough. And now it's like they had two people get hurt and it's like the dam broke. You know, well, they just fit every, they would fit everything wrong. Yeah. They would fit everything wrong. Safeties were five yards out of place. Corners weren't even in the business of tackling linebackers to try and dodge blocks for no good reason. Defensive linemen are trying to make tackles instead of holding gaps. It, all of it was just, it was just really bad. And I, I guess it wasn't that much better against Kansas. So it kind of makes me think that it's still not going to be super fixed. So I would imagine coming into this game, you're going to see a lot more of Iowa state running the ball. And even if it's not like 100% hitting right away, because they're, they are coming off a of bye week as well with a couple healthy guys, I would imagine you're still going to see a lot of dedicated running the ball more than they have in the past, just because of who they have back now and who they're playing against. Can I read some statistics for you from this Kansas, Oklahoma game? Please do. Oklahoma had 701 total yards of offense, 403 yards passing, 298 yards rushing, average seven yards of play. Kansas forced Oklahoma into 21 third downs. Oklahoma converted on 16 of them. And then that the only reason that the game was within 10 points was because Oklahoma fumbled twice and threw an interception. And they still put up 700 yards of total offense with three turnovers. Which which you can look at two ways, either ha, Kansas, or you can look at it and say, okay, Oklahoma's offense. They it's got a little something. They yeah. got a little something going on, which is true. But I think we've seen this defense do enough against this Oklahoma offense over the course of years. Now, granted, it's not Lincoln Riley anymore. It's a different, it's obviously a different staff, but the OU stamp on the side of the helmet doesn't mean anything anymore when you come to Ames. So I think that's going to be like, I'm more confident that the defense is going to continue what they've been doing. Although you can't really expect to hold Oklahoma. If they're going to operate similar to that, like they did against Kansas, even just remote stratosphere again, Kansas, Iowa state's defense is five times better than Kansas, but you're not, you shouldn't expect to hold this Oklahoma defense or Oklahoma offense under 20 points. So you're going to have to score to match that, which again, I think based on the running game, they should, they probably should be able to do that over under right now, 55 and a half, uh, probably higher than I would have expected to be, but, uh, all right, let's answer some of these questions. Um, phantom cyclone asks hearing a bye week is often used for self-scouting for tendency breaking purposes. What main tendencies on both sides of the ball? Do you think Iowa State addressed and how do you believe they are going to pivot? Well, I think what they addressed is probably doubling down on what they did against Texas, which is 
we talked about it on last week's episode and I talked about it on the channel five show that I do the, the sci-hawk game day is the, the thing that Decker struggled with in the first three games of conference play was that teams recognize that if they change the coverages from one thing to another, it doesn't matter what it is. One thing to another thing, it was hard for him to process where that was going because everything is really, really fast. Your first year as a quarterback. And so the teams would do funky stuff. They would change everything. Even Iowa did this. And I think Iowa was probably the, the, the blueprint that teams like Baylor and Kansas and Kansas state followed, which then when he would panic because he wasn't sure where he was going, he would th- try and just throw it to eight because I, if, you know, if I don't know if it's cover three or cover four, or if I don't know if it's man or zone, if I'm not super sure because of what they're disguising, if I just get it to eight, he's going to catch it. And that's kind of the thought process that they would do. And so going into Texas, the thing that they changed was they said, okay, let's not have you read the whole field because that is determinate by how much you see of everything else. Let's just say, okay, we're going to go a half boot and that half boot means we're going to run three or four different levels or two or three different levels of a pass play. And if the longer guy is open, throw it down or throw it down the field. If the shorter guy or if the longer guy is closed, look down to the, the shorter level, throw it to him. If he's not open, run, take three yards, call it good. Or they would run an RPO where they're just looking at one guy that says if the force defender, whoever the force defender is, if he plays up, throw Jay Linola slant. If he plays back, give the ball to Cartavius Norton. Like that, they would, because in those situations, you're not looking at this coverage or that coverage or this or whatever is I'm looking at two guys on defense and that's it. And that's all I'm going to be trying to do. And if I'm, if I got these two guys and I read them right, then that's fine. I don't have to read all 11. So thank that's, it's going into finding stuff like that, that makes him feel comfortable to be able to do, because then when he is feeling comfortable and confident, it, that's a hard offense to try and game plan against because you have to stay where you are, because if you're running a lot of good RPOs, I mean, think of like playing Navy. Are you going to try and spin your coverage against Navy? No, you're going to stay right there because if you move, they might be going to where you just moved from. And so when you do get those true passing downs, like the one, you know, the drop that Xavier had at the very end of the game. And that was just a, that's a straight drop back pass, but because they were running more RPOs and half boots able to actually run the ball, the defenses can't just like spin around all they all they want to. So they have to, but they have to show what they're doing, which makes yeah, it easier for show him to your read. hand a little bit. Yeah. You got to so show your hand. Yeah. I think what they're probably going to do is they're probably going to go back to doing that. I think the other thing is making sure that Norton and Brock are healthy. They because if they're healthy, they're able to run the ball, which again, forces the defense to lock where they are. Unless you're playing professional ball, you can't start spinning safeties, moving everybody around. If you're playing the pros, Minka Fitzpatrick can decoy coverage and get back to the right spot. Average Joe blow playing safety for Oklahoma can't. So yeah. he, he can't spin out and try and fake coverage and still get back to the right spot. So if you're able to run the ball, you're doing RPOs, you're doing half bootleg stuff, you're that stuff. You're able to, you lock the defense where it is and it makes it so your offense can run easier. And then defensively, I don't know if there's necessarily a tendency that they're breaking, uh, that they need to break because the defense has been pretty freaking good. But I think the other thing that they probably, the thing that they're probably wanting to do is get, figure out ways that they can get Will McDonald or MJ Anderson in one-on-one situations, whether that's in decoy pressures or actual pressures, where if I can get one of those two guys on a man-to-man, so just a guard or a tackle or something, then we're probably going to win there and we're probably going to get pressure. So 
it's probably not necessarily putting anything new in. It might just be a couple wrinkles on, okay, over the past four weeks, whenever we put MJ Anderson on one side, Will McDonald on the other side, and they walk Orion Vance up in the A gap, they're going to shift the protection to Orion Vance. Then they'll bring a lot of times they'll bring a safety or fullback in. And that's how we can get a one-on-one over there. And it's stuff like that, where you can try and chess match your way into one-on-ones for your better pass rushers. Cause I think that's the only thing that, you know, if you have a complaint on this defense is that they haven't sacked the quarterback as much as you'd like them to, but they are pressuring the quarterback and they're stopping everything else. So I, it's defense probably isn't going to do a whole lot. It's just going to maybe be in kind of, yeah. How do we set ourselves up for better situations for our guys that we want better situations for? All right. This comes from Jay Rastafarians. Uh, hell of a handle, hell of a Twitter, hell of, hell of a handle. Uh, the frustration versus consolation equation. Is it better to have close losses and feel like the team is almost there? Or would you rather feel further away and console yourself by saying it's a true build rebuild in year? I don't know. To me, that feels like a really easy answer because you, again, detaching yourself from the emotion of the frustration of being really close. This team is definitely better than it was in 2016. Mm -hmm. But in 2016, emotionally, you can say, ah, they're rebuilding. It's coming out of something that's negative. Whereas this, you kind of want it to be better. But if you were to just straight up say, which team is better right now and which team is better set up to succeed next year, the 2022 team or the 2016 team, you would say, give me the 2022 team. And so it really is just kind of checking an emotion of saying, yes, it's frustrating. Yes, it's disappointing. But by being so close, it's illuminating the fact that you are right there. Now, the flip side to this, and I think a necessary flip side is that if you're getting your ass kicked, you can, as a player, sort of say, okay, we'll, we'll come back and we'll get them next year. There is a lot of mistakes. Yeah versus these close losses can be emotionally heavy for players just because you're like, damn it. If we did this, this, and this, and you play the, what if game that that starts to become emotionally heavy. But I think the, the more space you give that the, even if, and this would be awful. So I'm knocking on what has happened. If they lock, continue to lose every single game for the rest of the year by one score, you would go into the off season. And for the first three months of that off season, it would suck. But the next, what basically once that time is passed and you can process it, then it becomes much less of this is currently frustrating and much more of that was frustrating in the past. And so you kind of move on from it and it doesn't really matter either way once you get beyond a certain amount. So I don't, I don't think, I mean, again, knock on wood, I don't think luck will allow you to be in that negative spot every single game. So it should turn around at least a little bit, but yeah, I think it, I would much rather have a team that is competitive than one that's getting their ass kicked because you know, just pull your emotions out of it. I think the reality is if you put a, if you wanted to put the situation that Iowa state is in into an analogy, it's more, you know, if you're talking to rebuild, it's re it's tearing the house down and starting over, you know, Iowa state just has a really big house with a bunch of rooms that their kids all went to college and now they have to refill the rooms you know, or their kids all moved out and now they got to refill the rooms and retool the house. You know, mm -hmm. it's about repurposing the house, figuring out the best way to, to utilize the talent that you still have in your building, you know, and that's not rebuilding. That's just a process of putting the puzzle together, you know? And I, th and I think you, you know, using that metaphor at all, but you did the property doesn't drop in value. It's just right now, if you were to show the house to sell it, 
it's not as attractive as it was the year prior, or it will be once the third kid's bedroom becomes a grand office, you know, like once the transition actually happens, it's going to be like, okay, this is fine. It's not like this house is any worse for the wear versus, yeah, you, you don't have to rip it from the studs, especially because we've seen most of the talent this year outside of McDonald and McDonald, Anthony Johnson and Hutchinson. Those three have been kind of the seniors that have been the show, but other than that, almost every one of the major playmakers has been an underclassman somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously NIL this off season is going to be, a, you know, a hell of a whirlwind. I think both in some positive things and some negative things, inevitably something's going to, you know, somebody's going somewhere where you don't want them to and vice versa. But the, the core of the team is going to come back. And the core of the team is a bunch of talented young guys, which will inevitably become a really a pretty damn good team next year. So I think, yeah, the team is in a good situation. It is just frustrating to lose four games by 14 combined points. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, from wonder boys, 23, do you think it's a detriment to frequently rotate running backs? Seems the frequent rotation makes it difficult to gain a rhythm. If all are healthy, who should get the bulk of the carries Brock, then Norton, or then ride the hot hand. Uh, I, I I think we talked about it at the start of the season is I want to see one person in there as much as you possibly can is I want to see if, if gyro Brock could take 85% of running back snaps and still be able to produce at the level that he can and not get hurt. Awesome. I want that guy in there the entire time because it allows it allows, like you mentioned, it allows you to find a rhythm and rhythm just means that I'm seeing what's happening real time. I'm seeing how fast are these linebackers coming downhill? How quick are the, in this particular game, how much like the, is Siona Ika again, the, the, the def- yeah. interior lineman for Baylor, how hard is that guy actually to block in real life? I can see it. I know that if there's a combo, that's a center and a guard on that guy, I have to do a lot more work to get that linebacker where I want him than in other games. So it allows you to see and pick up all that stuff at one time versus flipping running backs. But at the same time, if you have two guys that can do that, like, uh, you know, North Carolina did a couple years ago when they had, it was with Michael Carter and uh, Javante Williams. Well, yeah, I was, I was going to say, I think that if you can have one person who handles that job, you have to feel better about it because not every team has Lendell white and Reggie Bush in there. Right. Uh, in their running back room, you know, but if, if you do have two, yeah. then getting both of them to be able to be fresh when you can take one out and you don't lose a step, that's probably, that's your best. I mean, overall, absolutely your best situation for everyone, but that's, yeah. for everyone, but that's, that's usually pretty unlikely for that to happen. So usually to me, like with Brees taking like 85% of the snaps last year and the year before that's, that is a better offense to run with because you, again, that guy gets the same feel. But to answer the question of who should play the most, I think Jairo Brock is your best running back and by a pretty good margin, then Cartavius Norton. And then from there, I would guess Deion Silas, but you know, between Silas and Sanders, it's, it's just hard to tell. So the goal would be is if Cartavius Norton can do a few certain things really well, then when you do need to give Jairo Brock a break is you let the offense run through him in things that he does well and not put him in situations where he's going to struggle. So I would say that's give me Jairo, you know, one guy more often than not, because it's unlikely you have Reggie Bush, Lendell white or Michael Carter and Javante Williams. You're not likely to have two guys that are the same quality. Uh, but you know, again, yeah, Brock first Norton second, but give them things they feel comfortable with. 
All right. Uh, had about 15 people ask about special teams. How do the special teams get better? And the uh, people want to know why they still won't hire a special teams coach. The conversation's only been going on for however long. Uh, they want to know why they still stink, why they have one special teams gap a game. It's everything, Jeff. Just answer all of the questions. Fix the special teams right now here on Football and Random Things. Well, the thing is, is I don't know. You know, like the thing... It is frustrating to watch in the, in the special team stuff, because a lot of it comes from identifying and understanding where the opposing group is because, okay. So thing with special teams is it is the most wide ranging of every play outside of field goal and field goal block, which is pretty content. Like that's just a little chaos cauldron. But if you think of the other ones, kickoff, kick return, punt, punt return, that is the, that the formations are the widest. It covers the most ground. I mean, a bad air quotes, a bad punt is 30 yards, but that's also not including the 18 yards back that the, or the 14 yards back that the punter's standing at. So that's a 45 yard play all the time. On so a bad one yeah. on a bad one. Yeah. And on a good one, if it's a 50 yard punt, that's a 60, that's 64 yards in the air and it's 50 yards wide that you can run through. So th- it covers so much space. And because they cover so much space, you have to know roughly where the other team is going to be. And it, there are, you just have to have like hard and fast rules that if this happens, then this happens. And if this happens, then that happens. And, and it feels like they've solved a few of them this year, but they'll go one good game uh, or two good games in one game. That's total shit. And then another game that's pretty good. And then a total shit game. And another one gets pretty good. And then they get one blocked at Texas. And I think the thing that's a little bit frustrating is because that they are, they are such spread out things. You would expect, you expect nothing to happen, but there is such a risk of something bad happening again, because they're so spread out. It's either really good or really bad. So, uh, I don't know. Why are they so bad? They just hired the guy this past off season. So this is really the first time that they've had, it's a special assistant. So he's not necessarily calling the plays in the field, but he's working with them in practice that, they've, they've addressed it more, but this is really the first year of them having done that. And, uh, I know if I was to nitpick, if I was to nitpick one thing though, I think Tyler Perkins needs to get rid of the ball faster when there is, he's been good when he's gotten rid of the ball, but yeah, he holds on the ball too long sometimes. And and I think it's when, when there's a, a rush look, you have to shorten down one or two steps or like shorten down one step where you just change your stance. So it's instead of right, left punt, it's just left Punt. punt. And so you, I mean, freshman punter, when you're playing against, you know, what, I don't know where he came from or what his opponent, his opposition was, but it's, it's not that these guys are much faster. And so you have to be faster. You can't just take your time and get really comfortable. So I would say that's probably the main thing because they've had three punts block and all those, the operations time has been fairly slow. Yeah. And Matt, uh, Matt Campbell has talked about how he really likes where they're at schematically in all of these things. I don't, I mean, I'm not good enough to with punt and kick return or kick coverage schemes to like understand, you know, the intricacies of all those things, but it seems like they feel like where they're at is that they've changed something along the way that they feel like they're in a better position now, but it's like, everybody's still learning, you know, and they're trying to figure out exactly what everybody's supposed to do on any given play. Yeah. And, and that is, it's just an attention to detail thing that, Again, you know, we talked about it with uh, when Deion Silas got in at running back. It's really easy 
to kind of wash away in your brain that that's somebody else doing that. When I go in there, I'm not going to do it that way. But then when you see yourself on film, do it the way that they told you not to do it, then you kind of run out of mental gymnastics that you can that you can do to say, no, I would have done it differently or I, I can do it differently. So, you know, the learning the hard way is not a way that I would encourage people to go about learning special teams, but it feels like that's sort of where they are just because again, this is the first year of them having done that. So uh, Perkins needs to get rid of the ball faster, but, uh, otherwise, I don't know, pay more attention. So I, it should get better because they've been really good except when blocked punt or lack of concentration elsewhere. Yeah. Or missed field goals. It's basically it. Uh, all right. From real TJ Otts. I don't think this is actually from the real TJ Otts. I don't think he's on Twitter stuff, but from real TJ Otts, what does Iowa state need to do to win three more games? What will it take for a late season push at a bowl game? I don't know if it's really, how many of these games do you think are going to end, end up outside of 10 points in either direction? I also think like they've still got, yeah, they still have five games left. I mean, and all five of them are, uh, okay. I don't know about all five of them are winnable, but I mean, it just is like, it, it, yeah. I mean, I don't know, like going on the road to Stillwater seems like an uphill battle to me, but to win these next two weeks and all of a sudden you're five and four again, and you've got a three game stretch where you've got at Oklahoma state home against Texas tech and at TCU. So you got two of the three best teams in the league. And then you get Texas tech sandwiched in the middle. Like I think they could win three of those games. I think they can, sure. I, I don't know which ones they're going to come from. Cause it, let's say, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've played this before. This is a funny situation, but imagine if Iowa state is five and six and TCU's undefeated going into the last week of the season. That seems familiar. Yeah. And it would be funny. And cause if TCU wins that, they granted they would be undefeated going into the big 12 championship game. So they'd still have to win that game. It wouldn't just be an automatic de facto go to the playoff, but that's kind of leading in the playoff decision. And it'd be funny or ironic if Iowa state shot the big 12 again, but that's remember when Iowa there. state, when Iowa state shot the big 12, when TCU and Baylor tied for the title, because TCU only won like 60 to three instead of like 100 to three. And they dropped them in the polls. You remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. That was stupid. Yeah. Well, that was, that was one of the wildest things I'd ever seen. It was like, you watch that TCU play the night before that TCU team play the night before you're like, damn, these guys are nice, you know? And then, yeah, no, didn't work out. Didn't, didn't have the right conference. Yeah. Didn't have the right but, conference. All right. You know, you gotta, how, how, just basically how do you win the last few games is you make one less mistake in any one of the games. I don't think there's going to be any game on the schedule, even the TCU game at TCU senior night, Max Duggan senior night in Fort Worth. I mean, I don't even think that game's going to get outside of seven points. So maybe Iowa state's able to run away with one or two, but I don't think it's going to go the other way. And it's just, so when you get into these crunch time situations, it's just making the right plays that a young team should learn and absorb as they kind of get going and get a little bit older where Deckers is going to know, don't have to fight for that extra yard slide down, or you're going to have, uh, Xavier Hutchinson catches one of the balls in the fourth quarter instead of a couple drops in the fourth quarter. I mean, it, just making those plays to close it down. And I don't know. I still feel confident they're going to get there. They just need to make sure that they you know, just again flip the the details. All right, man. You got anything else you want to toss out there? 
No, I think this is uh Oh, I do. I do have a couple things. Oh, One, go prayers for up. Brees Hall, bro. Man, what a bummer, dude. Came out last night. Obviously, went scored a 62-yard touchdown yesterday against the, the Broncos uh, towards ACL in the second quarter. Prayers up for Brees. Hope that he bounces back quick because he was having a – he was doing exactly what I think we thought he was going to. Yeah. Turns out Brees Hall is exactly who we thought he was. So this is – it was funny because I don't remember if – I think it was the NFL that tweeted it that – uh Brees Hall hit like 21 and a half miles an hour on that. And it was fat. It was the fastest that any ball carrier had gone all year. And one of the, the knocks on Brees Hall from some idiot draft analyst was that he didn't have top end speed. Mm-hmm. Watch him run away from those guys on the Broncos yesterday. dude. the strides, man. That's what it is. It's those long strides. I don't think people take that into account that it's like, yeah, okay. He might not look like he's blazing fast, but look how much ground he covers with every step that he takes. You know, uh, I thought it was a good joke from the Godfather who said that the 21 and a half miles per hour would get him under consideration for a, for a speeding ticket in Windsor Heights. <laughs> that was a good one from yeah, uh, the Godfather, John Walters. And then shout out to, to Brock Purdy first in a completion yesterday. Also had his first, NFL interception, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll forget about that one. So shout out to those guys. Good to see them having success. And we hope Brees bounce back here soon. All right, Jeff, I'll uh, talk to you later on in the week on, uh, on cycle Fnatic tailgate show. And, uh, I hope everybody has a great rest of their week. Peace.